Hi, welcome back to That's So Second Millennium. I'm Paul, and I'm joined by my friend Bill. Here yes, for, hi, Paul. We're going to uh, start episode 10, which we're going to call Intellectual Citizenship. So this is an issue we were uh, discussing. It kind of exists in the space between all of the issues that we're hoping to discuss in this podcast, the ones we've already covered and the, one, the many that we hope to touch, touch on in the future. And so the question of intellectual citizenship arises pretty naturally in the sense that what do we owe, you know, what do we owe the universe? What do we owe its maker? What do we owe society to learn about how the universe works, um, how God wants us to behave, and how we can interact with our fellows in society? What, what is the minimum, in a sense, and minimum is perhaps not a great word, Matthew Kelly would probably uh, chide me for using, uh, for being minimalistic, but what's a reasonable amount that we could know that would be productive for us, you know, that, that's, a reachable, that's a reachable goal from where we are, right. wherever we happen to be. And it feeds into the whole question of the true philosophical meaning of happiness, right? The, uh, the uh, happiness and freedom and true liberty uh, all have to do with uh, the, uh, the, the freedom uh, and power to do what we ought and what we ought is uh, what we ought to do is to somehow respond to the universe and to all that we're learning and all that we're responsible for. And it's not it's not a concept that is very uh, readily grasped uh, or dealt with uh, in our society today. So I'm very glad we're dealing with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's easy, you know, in at the state to which human knowledge has come it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed by the idea of trying to be competent enough on such a variety of issues to be able to make rational decisions. Yeah. And especially, especially, yeah. you know, our, our responsibility as you know, members of our particular political, you know, the United States and, and other representative democracies, you know, to take the responsibility of judging whether other people are going to make decisions properly. Right. We evaluate their individual, at least what they claim to be their individual policies, and perhaps we don't put enough weight on, you know, actually judging their characters. Uh, Right. Exactly. And their their track record of of how they make decisions in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So so perhaps... How how does that spring forth from that, uh, from, from the compatibility and the simultaneity and the parallelism between science and religion that we were talking about in the last episode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, cause, because both, you know, science has become such a huge part of how we make decisions, right? We have, we have amassed right. so much knowledge, and we've amassed knowledge about a whole variety of things, right? We've, we've, yeah. we've got at least semi-quantitative political science, Right, that we actually have sociology and political science that allow us to say if we do X, we should expect a range of consequences, you know, a range of likely consequences Y, you know, right. that would allow us, you know, I mean, so so even things like game theory, right? So you take the whole mm-hmm. question of, you know, what are, what should we do with North Korea? What should right. the United States do vis-a-vis? This, you know, this political actor that's, you know, got its own very strange 
set of priorities and the tactics that this, uh, the members, the leaders of this political entity have used in the past. You know what, what you know. So so we have we have more knowledge. I mean, we certainly we just have more history. We have more records, you know, than someone in the 19th century, for example, even. Right. Um, we, have, we have more history to work with, and we have more people have thought about it and written about it and reasoned about it. We should be able to make better decisions on that basis. We, yeah. You know, and then, then we have the whole range of social questions about, you know, the, the knowing psychology, you know, the amount of, that we've uh, surely gotten somewhere in psychology and sociology again. And we should be able to, to some degree, predict the, you know, all of the changes in social policy. If we, you know, if we take welfare reform that we talked about in the 90s, has that worked? Has it not worked? What, you know, what unintended consequences has it has? And of course, this, you know, this is, there, there's no sharp division between psychology, sociology, and economics, really. Um, how are people going to act, react to certain stimuli? Statistically speaking, over you know what large numbers of people are going to do, and then of course we have the hard science of you know so we have issues like climate change, and in the right. 70s and 80s we had the issues of you know what do we do about uh, industrial contamination? Yeah. What uh, right. what what regulation should we put in place, and what science you know underlies these things? So we should yeah. be aware of. You know, since we're electing people who are going to make decisions about all of these issues, we we ourselves should at least know a little bit. But we should also have the ability to um, we should have the ability to evaluate people. You know, in terms of the the quality of decisions they've made in the past, which is really what choice we're making. Although we tend to oversimplify it to the point of I want them to spout me a list of policy objectives that I agree with and, and sort of elide the question of are they actually going to be competent actors to get that done? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, how do you feel? Do you think that one of the reasons why intellectual citizenship may have been a bit on the uh, wane, let's say, is because it does involve this element of judgment making about others. I, I noticed the way you were describing it was very right on target. You were not, it was not about judging other people and whether they had been, quote, evil or good or that kind of thing. Uh, but you were, you were, it's, uh, it's a good intellectual citizenship means judging people on the way they have made judgments and acted on them, uh, it's on the behavior, not on the uh, on the inherent goodness or badness of a person. Oh right. yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's that's a decision we. Oh, it's it's amazing to watch American political discourse, you know, to me, and to think about how how ready we are to moralize things that yeah. you know I scratch my head at and say, you know, nobody on either side of the you know, so to, to take a, a particular issue, you know, so, or a, I guess a cluster of issues, a particular pattern of issues, you know, anytime right. you have a social program 
you know, there, there's a certain knee-jerk reaction to say, well, if you're voting against dollars in the federal budget for Program X, and Program X is in some sense intended to deal with social problem Y, you must not care about poor people. You must not want, you know, problem Y to get better in society. Which right. is, yeah, I mean, which is not a complete logical non sequitur. Exactly. Program X may not be making problem problem Y better at all, and you could have a very, you know, tight, rational, logical, and based on evidence argument for why that's the case, and that doesn't matter. That doesn't even, we don't even think about whether whether we're spending money effectively. It's just a question of whether we're spending the money or not. Right. Because yeah. it's too hard to get under the hood and, and actually look at those those questions in detail. And it's, yeah. and it's very inherently to just sort of jump to a conclusion and, and look for a way to judge other, other people, which, you know, of course, that's that's been a problem hum, humanity from the beginning. But Right. But I love that image, uh, how important it is for all of us, especially our leaders, however they may be chosen, but for all of us as participants, how important it is for us to literally, quote, get under the hood. Uh, at a time when when a lot of us really just want to we just want to take take the car to the garage and uh, forget about how the car runs and let somebody else take care of it. right right treat it as as a black box as we sort of say in computer science right you know right I'm going to feed and there's a, there's a utility to that there there's absolutely utility to that but you can't think about everything and that's and that's the daunting thing about you know trying to face the question of am I have I done the work to be an intellectual, you know, a fit intellectual citizen of the modern world? Because there is so much you could learn, and you have to make choices. You have to make an enormous, you know, you have to rule out an enormous amount of material that you're never going to master or get that yeah. familiar with, and you have to trust other people to make those decisions. A, you know, a That's country true. is just a really large organization, and I have to, you know, I have to trust that some other people know about information security. I don't know enough about that to make but I, I need to know a little. I need to know that it's an issue. Right. And if I'm going yeah, to select right. people, you know, and, I, and so, so if we, from this perspective, we can observe, um, you know, that our, our past election, there's this, been this enormous question of are foreign actors, you know, employing hackers to, to derail or alter political campaigns? Yeah, that's a, we have to know enough to know that, that that could probably be an issue and should be an issue going forward. And if we have candidates who are completely ignoring that issue, then, you know, we, we maybe should be worried about that. Or if they're tracking yeah, yeah. they're not taking steps about that issue, even if they talked about it. That that should call that should be a cause for concern. I agree. I agree. And yet, yet we don't, you know, neither of us have to be Get, get to the point of becoming cybersecurity experts in our in our own right, because that would cost time that we would you know have to spend on other issues. We we have to we have to draw lines all sorts of places in order to put it, dial things back to the point of you know what we can pack into a single human life. And on the other hand, of course, we also have to you know stop binge watching whatever show on Netflix and take the time to, to do that reading too. That's right. That's right. That's the tough part, right? For a lot of people. 
And it is. I mean, we have so many distractions and the, 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 the problems that our educational system have, have today, I mean, there's so much social capital that we're, oh boy, this is, this is getting to the point where I'm, I'm opening up an entire other podcast uh, topic, but I'll mention it right <laughs> now. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I look right. at the school system, you know, so I look at, at the modern, you know, public school system and the idea that, you know, that things have changed so much since I was a child that now we have to make sure that not only is there a possibility of providing school lunch, but there has to be a, a school breakfast. And right. we're, you know, we're wringing our hands. And I'm not saying that we're not doing it, you know, that, that this isn't a valid concern. But I'm just saying that sure. it's fascinating right. and horrifying that it's gotten to this point that we're wringing our hands over the summer that, you know, children basically won't be eating in this country yeah. that's washing yeah that wastes half of, I don't know, some, some huge number, tens of percent of the food that we produce, we waste. Um, yeah. And, throw it away. and yet we have this situation where we can't depend on a large segment of society, a, a large segment of the parents in our society to even provide any kind of food for their children. Is it all economics? Is it, you know, and how much of it is, is sort of a sociological well, you know, the, that expectation has been dialed down and there's so many other distractions going on. I, I don't know. I mean, this, that's just a, I don't know. I just wonder about it. And as right. again, it's something that I have to make choices with how I spend my own time. And I'm probably not the person to solve all the issues involved with that. But I'm certainly, I look at society and I say, wow, well, what has changed? And are we, are we, by doing all this again, are we sort of economically doing something that has unintended consequences? Are we, yeah. we the, the, the laws of unintended consequences are difficult things to get our uh, minds around. Are we really making yeah. the problem better or is there something deeper and more painful and annoying and more thought, <laughs> thought intense? That's what, that's all. Right. Okay. Don't make me uh-huh. think about it, but uh, yeah, are, are there better solutions that we would have to, that we would, yeah, are, are there better solutions to these problems than simply, you know, treating the symptoms like we are of, you know, trying to provide as much free food to students as possible, free or, or reduced cost lunches and breakfasts and, and other meals and so forth. What yeah. else could we be doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we need to be thought intense and so much of the, uh, so much of our discussion and approach to to uh, to thought is more um, uh, superficial and entertainment intense, I'm afraid. And yeah. uh, we're not really we're not really uh, learning from the past, Ren. We're not thinking about about the future. Is there a connection between what we've been saying, like in episode nine, about um, the parallels between uh, science and religion, or the ways we think about science and religion? Is there something about that that has led us to uh, where we are now in intellectual citizenship? Uh, well, that's yeah. So I mean, that's that's the and that's that's good. We should you know try to try to tie that back to that episode a little bit. I mean, so so in terms of those issues that we've already been discussing, because we've kind of let ourselves talk a little bit about uh, you know politics, which you know, we'll, we'll we'll want to talk touch on that point um, in the future. 
Yeah, but, still connected, um, right? What, what anyone should know, and even if we live in a you know a totalitarian regime where we effectively don't have any you know influence on the political system, we still respond to it and we still make our economic choices and our religious choices and how we live our daily lives. So that you know, knowing about okay, how does science work? Um, is science the kind of reliable guide? Um, you, you posed me a marvelous question over email about, and I think we've maybe started to, to deal with it, but uh, I think we've only just started to deal with it, um, about people who take science as their, basically their replacement religion. Yeah. They run the risk of being disillusioned. <laughs> the answer, of course, is a resounding yes, because yes. <laughs> first of all, they want their, you know, they, they just want to find something else preferably something that allows them, I mean, in many cases, to have their to have their vice of choice, whether that's, you know, the kind of sexual behavior that they prefer or the kind of, you know, economic behavior that they prefer or anything else where religion might make some demands on their life. They just want to be able to replace one dogmatism with another. Right. And, and science doesn't, you know, obviously the whole point is that science, in fact, does not work that way. That science has gone through, um, and I mean, for that matter, really, religion doesn't work that way. But that, uh, gosh, I'm looking for that question. That's why I'm, I'm sort of sputtering a little bit. Oh. <laughs> uh, was that at the beginning of this list? Do lay people? Yes, this is so great. I'm going to read it out loud. Do lay people Thank who you. choose to top to choose to adopt quote scientific thinking as a replacement for quote religious thinking? Re Risk become risk becoming disillusioned when they realize modern science is in the business of mystery, surprising discoveries, incremental learning, and misunderstandings along the journey to greater certainty. Yes, I mean what you've really what you've outlined there is the entire program of the philosophy of science, whether you realize that or not. Um, <laughs> when you were writing that that question down, that's really in a sense you know. The whole issue that that the, the philosophy of science addresses is we have this nagging certainty that we're getting somewhere, and yeah, yet yeah. the process of science is so messy. And you know, at some point, uh, we commented on um, I think this got into the liner notes of one of the the last few episodes that right. it's probably the last episode because I you know I laid out of course you know the uh, you know, God help me for, you know, probably my arrogance here, but, you know, my, my inter entire interpretation of, you know, a big stream of Western society and culture in the last 500 years being progressive rebellion, that we start with the rebellion against the Catholic Church, we progress to rebellion against Protestant churches and religion in general, and now we've progressed right. to rebellion against, you know, every political and cultural thing that we can find. And there's been a lot yeah. of things that have been criticized, and weakened along the way, and that's you know that's true, but it's also it's also led us to this society where we've like I said I I feel like there's a whole bunch of social capital, which is to say, you know beliefs things things that we were going you know we're all going to be socialized to the point that we do come hell or high water you know massive you know not everyone of course nothing's ever you know complete, but that the num you know the percentage of people we can rely upon to feed their children no matter what if there's any possibility of doing so, has gone down, you know, to the point where there are now tens of percent of people who really could afford to do that. 
um, and yet don't and let something else, you know, convince themselves that they need X, Y, or Z, you know, whether it's the next, you know, whether it's a, a smartphone or a, you know, a vehicle or a house or whatever it might be, um, or whatever right, other, right. you know, or, or a, a vice like, you know, tobacco or alcohol or drugs. Um, right. But that's, you know, that, that, that social capital has been, and that's, and I, have a hard time believing that that doesn't have something to do with our culture of constant criticism. Um, and destruct, there's a difference between constructive and destructive criticism. Right. And criticism is our whole perspective on life, then we're not going to, you know, we're not going to accomplish that much. Just yeah. as, just as if you have, if your perspective on life is, blind adherence to what your political and religious authorities say, you're also not going to get very far. Everything yeah, comes back right. to that alien mean between extremes. Exactly. You can either be too sure of things, nor too skeptical of things. I mean, there is a golden mean there. Yeah, there, there absolutely yeah. is. Absolutely yeah. is. So then what does it mean for uh, how to pursue intellectual citizenship uh, in the future for we who want to take both a faith-based and science-based approach uh, to solving the world's problems and, dare we say, evangelizing a culture that uh, desperately needs better problem-solving. Well, let's, yeah, let's, let's make some concluding comments that at least, you know, address on a science, from the on the subjects of science and religion, what we might, you know, throw out there as ideas for things we ought we consider a baseline you know that you should be sure. aware of when you're making decisions so on the science side to be aware that yeah we probably are making progress and there are things that we've discovered that have survived but but to know that science progresses by this pattern of paradigm shifts that we right. you know we have we have this sort of normal science in the cunian sense of Okay, we've got an existing paradigm, and we know how to solve certain kinds of problems, and so we're going to add details here, there, and everywhere, and we're just going to fill in, and we're going to color between the lines, or we're going to see what color is between the lines, sort of like a, well, paint by number is not really what I'm talking about, but, you know, one of the, if you can imagine, instead of a paint by number, you know, we're just going to get, we have these lines, we're going to get the sheet wet, and we're going to see what color, because, of course, science is about consulting reality and seeing what color it is. Um, right. We're going to see what color comes up when we get this part of the sheet wet. But we know what the overall shape is going to be, right, because we have these lines. We, we know yeah. what we know yeah. that this is a clown, and we, we're just going to find out what color of makeup the clown has on his cheeks and that sort of thing, what color of clothing he's wearing. Whereas with, you know, science will go through paradigm shifts and there are sciences that we can even as lay people you know sort of squint at and assess well this one is probably still in a situation where we're we're shifting between paradigms we haven't we haven't got things you know nailed down yet as opposed to sciences where you know there there will be paradigm shifts off in the distance somewhere sort of like the physics so so a difference between geology in the 20th century at the opening of the 20th century and physics at the opening of the 20th century. They both went huh. through paradigm shifts and they're both now on a pretty stable 
basis, in a, at least in a certain sense. But in physics, the paradigm shift went off kind of way off in the distance, right? You didn't necessarily make, you know, no engineer had to change what they were doing in 1905 or 1915 or 1925 based on progress in relativity and quantum physics. It opened up new opportunities further on down the line, but it didn't yeah. change. It didn't change what they were doing on an everyday basis. Whereas the plate tectonics uh, revolution in the 60s came at least a lot closer to affecting what you know people do on a very practical basis. Like you know, this was this was always a dumb place to be prospecting for minerals. You know, there there are predictions <laughs> in that you know in that theory. Like you know, this is the sort of place where you should be looking for you know making these basic economic decisions. We were doing them wrong. We were doing them ineffectively. We, we, we have more information now. And this is also the sort of place where we should look for threats from tsunamis and earthquakes and whatnot. And just because we've gotten away with it for 100 years, you know, we didn't think that the Pacific Northwest, for example, was really, you know, at, at risk for this sort of thing. But as a matter of fact, it definitely, definitely is. And we don't need to wait for a tsunami to wipe out everything west of I-5 in Oregon to know that a tsunami could come and wipe out everything west yeah. of I-5. Because there's a plate boundary there, and that's what you expect to happen. Indeed. So that's yeah. So, so what would still be out there that's probably ripe for further paradigm shifts? Well, unfortunately, all the human sciences are still, you know, economics and sociology and psychology are still in, you know, because unfortunately, first of all, human beings are so complex, and second of all, we're so invested. We just naturally get so easily invested in things going, you know, and, and the idea that I already have about how I and other people work, um, those are among the stickiest beliefs to change. Yeah. I mean, people, Lord knows people can get attached to a belief in any subject, no matter how arcane. Um, That's right. I mean, you, can, you can read comical stories in the history of science about that, you know, for, for years on end. But... So those are probably among the worst, the the social sciences, and to know that, you know, we shouldn't, and and to be aware that, for example, the whole business of climate science, I yeah. mean, it's it exists in sort of an intermediate state where we know a lot of what's going on. I mean, we certainly know all the physics in detail. You know, I mean, we we know all the physics. We know that we know the laws and principles that the atmosphere behaves by. But gosh. Getting all of those details into a single model, the models aren't that trustworthy yet. And we don't know exactly, we don't, I mean, we, do, we don't have a good idea as to what the effect of having more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere at this, you know, hundreds of ppm level that we're, you know, we've, we've added 100 ppm or something of, of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere on, a, on an existing 300. What's that going to right. do? I mean, why that's a big number. But what is that going to do in detail? I don't even know. I mean, the things that people are starting to point out as, well, this is an example that climate change is happening. Like, when you, when you give it that term, climate change, yeah. I mean, that's, that's now generic enough that, um, that it's, you know, the, 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 it's so generic that, yes, something is changing. Something could be changing about the climate. It's probably to the point where statistically... You know, and to know about statistics, to, to have the idea of, of being able to cope with 
statistical realities, which we're terrible at as human beings. We want things to be, we want, we want to do all or nothing thinking. We want, and we want things to be deterministic. We want every time there's a this, that happens. We want to believe yeah, that yeah. so badly. Yeah. And it's, and that's not how, that's not how the world works in detail. And, and climate right. is a great example of that. We don't know for sure what's happening. We, we have yeah. probabilities and we, and we don't even know for sure what the causes are. You know, there, there are possibilities that we're not taking adequate account of, say, the difference in land use and the difference, right. therefore, in, you know, how water, how much water is entering the atmosphere where, which would be a local question and very difficult to put into models accurately. But water is right. as much greenhouse gas as carbon dioxide is, if not more. And that's going to affect how much heat is, you know, being taken into the atmosphere or being released. We just, we don't know for sure. And people want to make yeah. such a dogma yeah. of that. Yeah. People absolutely, and, and, and people, and of course, the, the less they know about it, the more dogmatic they are about it. And, <laughs> and to use that as a, use that as a stick to beat their political opponents as being, you know, ignorant, which of course many people are, you know, object to climate change and grasp at whatever straw will no doubt use what I just said to try to say, well, but that, that means there's nothing, which is not what I said. <laughs> that there's no, no problem and there's no reason to worry um, because we just don't know. Well, we just don't know. And the, what could be going on could be very dire. And it's very possible that we could be reaching some sort of tipping point that a model, you know, the models that we have might not even be dire enough. Right. We don't know. And that means we don't know. It doesn't mean that I don't know so I can paper over it with whatever seems most convenient and attractive to me. Yeah. I think, I think you've hit on a, you've hit on a really good aspect of intellectual uh, citizenship and intellectual leadership that maybe we could uh, devote a, a, a next episode two because you're, you're saying that uh, in a sense we've uh, we've we've set such a high bar for intellectual citizenship namely that we have to know not only all the facts but all of the models into which the facts should be placed uh, and there has to be this level of dogmatic certainty or else somebody is uh, in the wrong uh, right. we've really kind of painted ourselves uh, into a real corner where very few people are going to successfully step forward and be uh, intellectual uh, leaders or good intellectual citizens. Is, am I right? Uh, right, right. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about issues I feel like we ought to know about, and that's, it's gotten already to be a kind of a long list, and you could extend the list quite a bit. So that's yeah. a, yeah, yeah, that's a good place yeah. to sort of, you know, stand back and take a look and say, yeah, and, and, and to, to examine things in a little bit more detail and, and see, if we can, see if we can draw some limits somewhere. Yes, yeah. All right, well, why don't we, why don't we close today with, uh, with that uh, additional element of suspense? Can we succeed in forging a new paradigm of uh, intellectual citizenship and intellectual leadership? Uh, yeah. We'll be back uh, with the next episode very soon, and, and thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Bill.